Hi, I'm Mark Rodman. Coming up, the president gets a big win in Congress. The nation pauses to honor its veterans, and a majority of Americans feel that cancel culture has gone too far. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai of the John Locke Foundation, political analyst Joe Stewart, Donna King, editor-in-chief of Carolina Journal, and Nelson Dollar, senior advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Mitch, why don't we begin with the president's big win in Congress this week? Amid a sea of generally bad news in recent weeks, President Biden got a glimpse of the island recently when 13 Republicans joined with most of the Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives to pass this $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. Now, I call it infrastructure. Most people have been calling it infrastructure. How much infrastructure is actually in it? Those rabid right-wingers of the Washington Post have told us that uh, among the new spending, only about 20% of it is for bridges and roads. If you throw in other things like mass transit, other rail, uh, airports, ports, all or airlines, ports, all of that sort of thing, you're up to about 46%. So still more than half of this money is not traditional infrastructure. Now, this bill had been sitting in the House for about three months. Since April. Basically, yeah, for a long time because the House leadership wanted to wait to get support on another even larger bill for social welfare items. They finally decided that that could wait and they would vote on the infrastructure bill first. Still, it wasn't good enough for six House Democrats, including all of the members of the squad. They wanted to vote on the larger bill as well. If you look at the 13 Republicans who went along with this, mostly New York, New Jersey, a couple in the Mid Midwest. Pork. No, no Southeastern uh, right. Republicans went along with this. And if you look at the impact in North Carolina, it's said to be about $9 billion over five years things like commuter rail, even if the commuter rail project gets this money, it's not expected to open until 2030. Donna, is this a win for taxpayers? Uh, I would say, I would have to say no, but who it is a big, big win for is Pete Buttigieg. He's the transportation secretary under uh, Joe Biden. He is going to uh, control about $126 billion of this. It's about a fifth of the total amount. Traditionally, the money would come in a spending package like this, would go to the states, let them figure out what's best for them. So he has sign-off. He is now a huge power broker right. uh, because he's going to run this competitive grants program. And, and traditionally, I think we can bet that the money is going to go primarily to states that voted for Joe Biden. It's going to probably favor projects that uh, that show that kind of policy priorities that the Biden administration has, like, like environmental uh, issues, and racial equity. So this money, this $126 billion, is really going to end up looking more like a big boondoggle. Joe. 
Well, the interesting thing is, will there be a political benefit to Democrats in the midterm election? A lot of these projects will take a while for the funding to actually produce something Flow tangible. Out. Yeah, that people can look at and say, oh yeah, the Democrats did this for us. They improved a bridge or added an airport. I'm not entirely sure this has the benefit that Democrats think that it will in the midterm election. In some ways, the, just the nature of the way the money will roll out will have a lot of political uh, implications to it as well. I don't, I don't think it's as simple as a lot of ribbon-cutting ceremonies for Democratic members of Congress across the country. And quite frankly, I think voter attitudes are probably, at this point, more or less set for the 22 election. And I'm not sure this really makes a difference. But Nelson, they had to do it after the Virginia loss, correct? Oh, I think they had to get something done. And, right. re you know, Republicans can kind of blame themselves. They were supposed to do an infrastructure bill when they had majority several years With ago. Donald Trump. And, and they, they didn't get that done. And, but really, more importantly, Joe Manchin, um, he is the guy that holds the keys to the kingdom in Washington right now, and Republicans want to keep him happy. He is holding back things that are much worse. And, and to Joe's point, uh, I don't think this brings Biden back. Uh, if you looked at the shovel-ready jobs for Obama that he passed in, in 2009, that did not uh, change the needle in the 2010 election. Where do you think the reconciliation bill is with the progressive one? By the way, the progressives voted against this bill, the six of the squad. I think that is the big question between now and the end of the year. Are they actually going to be able to push through that bill? They've got a bill that they're right. sending over. It is not to Manchin or Cinema's liking. Okay. Uh, they're trying to put too much money out there. All they're going to succeed at doing is pulling capital out and fueling inflation with more and more spending. Okay, I want to change gears. Donna, get your thoughts on Veterans Day. Yes, so this week the nation stopped to uh, honor our veterans. Now, of course, this is different than Memorial Day. Memorial Day, uh, we recognize those who gave the ultimate sacrifice and their families uh, who gave their life for this country. Of course, we also remember them on Veterans Day. But uh, on Veterans Day, we really take a moment to recognize the service of 19 million American veterans who have uh, experienced things that most of us will never see. Um, we did read, and there was a lot of kind of outpouring, particularly this year. Uh, one veteran wrote a piece for the Jerusalem Post, an op-ed, and she uh, served in Afghanistan, and she took that Veterans Day to recognize the disastrous pullout of Afghanistan and how many uh, really said that, you know, they gave their service, they gave their lives for this country, and she felt that they were abandoned in, uh, in Afghanistan. So we saw a lot of that showing up in some uh, media publications. In Washington, though, it also fell on the 100-year anniversary of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. There's a beautiful ceremony that replicated the original one 100 years ago, uh, where the remains of an unidentified World War I um, killed in action were were interred there at Arlington Cemetery. So it was an opportunity to really watch that and remember how long it's been uh, and how many veterans have really served this nation. No, so we've got a tremendous amount of veterans in North Carolina and the COVID really and the pandemic hit them hard. Uh, it hit them extremely hard. And one of the things that you will see next week when the state budget comes out and there's a big vote on that, that is a budget that will honor veterans. And I think you'll see uh, a number of provisions there. Uh, and they bring such talent to our workforce and commitment to our communities. And we have a growing number of veterans that are now, you know, serving in the, in the state legislature. And I think, you know, when you look back to the Great War, uh, there are lessons leading up to that war that we need to look at now. There was a, a naval arms race. There were wars in, in uh, 1911, 12, and 13 leading up 
to the war starting in 1914, the similar sets of regional conflicts that are out there right now in Europe, in right. Asia, and in uh, uh, Africa. So, you know, right now I have great confidence in our service members. They are the best in the world. Uh, but the leadership in Washington and the Pentagon, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence right now. Mitch. You mentioned COVID, and I think that's another thing that we need to keep in mind is the impact that this is having on the Veterans Administration and the hospitals. That has been a, Thank a you source. For bringing that up. Yes, that's been a source of concern for a number of years, even before the pandemic. But we learned fairly recently that this has caused major backlogs in the hospitals, and the people who are keeping track of this think that they won't even have all of these problems under control until the middle of next year, June of 2022. So as we're thinking about the veterans, as we're honoring them, we also have to think about how do we serve them medically after they've served us. Joe, wrap this up in about 40 seconds. I remember uh, reading an article many years ago talking about the composition of Congress in the years after the Second World War when so many veterans were serving right. in the House and Senate. And they talked about even though they had partisan differences many times, their military experience had taught them how to work together, to be mission-centric, and to get things accomplished. I hope that this generation of young men and women who've served in Afghanistan, the leadership skills they've learned, I hope we see an increased number of veterans running for public oh, I office. I think we are seeing it, don't you think? Well, I hope it continues because they do bring a great perspective and a willingness to commit to public service, but also to try to get things done. Okay, I'm going to come right back to you. Interesting Harvard-Harris poll done by Bill Clinton's old pollster on cancel culture. Yeah, very interesting. The, the, this poll was conducted uh, asking the question, using the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of cancel culture, the practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. Overwhelmingly, people have said they reject this notion. In large part, I thought the interesting number was among Democrats and Republicans, this sense that the cancel culture unfairly punishes past deeds or actions. It's no sense of redemption. And if you've done something wrong once, you're forever tarnished in that regard. Are, are we surprised that people are rejecting this? I think not. I talked to a sociologist friend of mine, and she said part of the challenge in, in the classrooms of college students that she teaches, they feel like there's no room for discussion. You're afraid to say anything because of this notion. And even her adolescent son, who was part of the conversation, said, as a high school student, he just feels like there's no right answer anymore. You're just afraid to talk about any subject matter for fear that you become somehow subject to this cancer culture phenomena. It, Surely in American history, these sorts of cultural and sociological movements, it's like a pendulum. It swings too far one way and it swings back inevitably. But I think for Democrats that were counting on this as a battle cry going into the 22 election, this is pretty clear that the vast majority of people, both Democrats, Republicans, and even unaffiliated say, we're tired of this phenomenon. Right. We don't want it anymore. Donna, we are seeing pushback from folks like James Carville. For sure. Uh, Bill Maher. Right. Uh, saying enough's enough. Yeah. The, well, I mean, I think James Carville, we know him because he was, you know, part of the, the Raging Cajun. The Raging Cajun, part of the big Clinton team. Um, you know, he said that, you know, this is it, that this is going to be the end of Democrats if they don't wake up and stop being so woke. I mean, that's really what they're seeing. But we're also seeing that I'm totally in favor of voting with your feet. If you don't agree with something, you go somewhere else. But this is the lazy way to do it. This is hiding behind your keyboard and creating mass hysteria on social media and not listening to 
to the facts. When you make a, a wise, well-thought-out decision and choose to vote the way you want or go to the school you want or shop where you want, that's one thing. That's not what this is. And you're seeing this crop of new colleges, new higher educational facilities, because, you know, that's where wokeism started, was on college campuses. We have, you know, Hillsdale in Michigan. We've got this new University of Austin. We've got, you know, Thales College here in North Carolina. They're really coming up and they're getting students and they're saying, we want to deliver a classic education with real classes, real critical thinking skills, and parents are paying attention. Mitch, what uh, has ca cancel culture uh, permeated the boardrooms, corporate boardrooms? Oh, certainly. I mean, pretty much all areas of society and even getting into things like the military where you could have real life and death consequences. Uh, cancel culture is a bad thing. The, the best thing that I saw in that poll beyond just the general number was the fact that this was so widespread. You'd think with something that has 71% polling on this that it might be 95% Republicans and 30% Democrats. No, it was pretty consistent across the board that it was 76% Republicans, 70% Democrats. Surprisingly, the lowest number among the three groups was unaffiliated at 68%. Maybe it's because they just haven't thought about it as much. But to see such widespread disappointment with cancel culture, that has to be a good sign for moving in the other direction. As Joe said, the pendulum swinging back the other way. Nelson, you think it's run its course? No, it has not run its course, unfortunately. I do think this is sort of the progressives' uh, new puritanism, so the, uh, complete with suspected, you know, witches and heretics on public trial. I mean, you, you see that sort of thing. So it is history repeating itself. We go through these cycles. The last one like this was in the 60s into the, into the 70s. And uh, I do think it's probably we're going to be dealing with these social uh, upheaval uh, Americans are very loud. We're very aggressive. We're going to have to go through this uh, through the 2020s. Well, but is this a case of a vocal minority being loud and moving the agendas? It, it, some of it is that, but it is also, you, I mean, you see movement in how you define the parties, both the Democratic Party and Republican Party. They're changing their definitions. They're changing their coalitions. There's a lot at foot here. And to be fair, uh, the issue of race, we've never fully addressed it in America. That is still an issue that plagues us in terms of how we come to grips with this. Um, critical race theory right. is certainly not the answer, but indifference is not the answer either. Okay, we got to move on. I want to talk to you. The administration is considering canceling another pipeline. Yes. Uh, Governor, Michigan Governor Whitmer uh, wants to close the uh, Enbridge Line 5 pipeline. Uh, it connects uh, Canadian and U.S. oil and gas fields through Michigan to Ontario. Uh, she claims that there are environmental concerns where it crosses the Straits of Mackinac. I believe I pronounced that right. Uh, Biden is weighing his options. The consequences would be huge. Mackinac. Mackinac. Okay. okay. I'll take your, I'll take your, uh, the Straits. <laughs> Between Lake Michigan and Huron. Okay. Uh, so it hasn't leaked in 65 years, but now they've got a concern about it. Uh, but the consequences would be huge. You'd be cutting off uh, propane to that region in half. You would be creating huge shortages. Uh, Canada is furious. They actually have a treaty with the United States over the movement of this Midwest product. Midwest would get hit hard. Uh, it, it would. And so, you know, our economy is based on low and a cost energy and abundant energy. And if Biden wants a transition between fossil fuels and renewables, natural gas and nuclear have to be part of that. And all you have to do is look at Europe right now. Europe 
it has failed to understand you have to have transition. You have to have natural gas. You, if you want to see inflation go up and energy shortages in this country and see the political implications of that. Mitch, let me ask you, when we're coming out, we're coming into an economic recovery, don't we need more energy? Yeah, we definitely need more energy. And to even be talking about this at this time shows the sign of political tone deafness. If you're going to be talking about this, then it's a bad idea. But why would you do it as winter is approaching and people are thinking about their energy needs? Why would you be talking about shutting down another supply of energy right at this time? Why not, if you're going to have this bad idea, have it in March or April when people are less likely to say, oh, why are they thinking about turning down the source of energy that we need up here in the north in Michigan? I mean, it just shows that the folks who are talking about this are not really thinking things through. Don, is this designed, uh, this, this uh, administration's policy designed to get people to drive electric cars, green alternatives for energy? I think so, and that's one thing that we are seeing. Rather than their focus being on keeping energy affordable, um, they're focused on making people change their habits. And that's something that I think a lot of Americans are highly resistant to. One of the things we've heard in the last week or two is, well, you might have to turn down your thermostat. We haven't heard that kind of thing since the Carter administration. And that's something I still have that, my sweater. Yeah, people <laughs> people are not going to do. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of living here, right? Is that we, you know, can make consumer choices and and removing those choices and forcing people to live under under their values and their policy because they just want to turn off the spigot, that is not going to fly in with American people. Joe, put this in context. Yeah, I think this really belies Nelson touched on this, what's happened in Europe with the pipeline and the Russians. Energy production is a national security issue at some level and we've achieved a, a level of independence as a nation we probably are well overdue for a comprehensive energy policy but not one that's piecemeal where you're taking a political opportunity to do this or that to try to make a point or in galvanize your support among your base but this kind of stuff really does make people cynical about the political sensitivities that and they're paying for have. it in their pocket right in their wallet well then and you're gonna have to pull out your sweater again i know how cranky that makes you okay <laughs> in the up it's two sweaters okay <laughs> all right i want to move on let's go to the most underreported story of the week mitch well one of the big headline stories of course was the retired union county judge david lee who has said that 1.7 billion dollars needs to be transferred regardless of what the general assembly says to pay for education needs Buried beneath that deservedly big headline was the news that the former judge who oversaw this case for almost 20 years, Howard Manning of Wake County, he came out with a memorandum that said, wait a minute, judges can't do this. A judge can make an order, but he can't force another branch of government to take action. But then he also said while he was at it, while he was busy and cranked up and fired up, that he saw over the course of 20 years of this case that the big problem was the educational establishment. He said the, the folks who are going to get this new money they're the ones who are the problem. We'll cover uh, Leandro in, in further depth uh, in a couple weeks. Joe. Yeah, an article out of the North Carolina Health News, sort of the publication of record on health care in North Carolina now, about the challenges people coming out of prison face, the incarcerated. We talk a lot about criminal justice reform, but folks trying to be reintegrated into society after having served a term in jail or in prison have a far greater likelihood of mental health or physical health or substance abuse challenges, in addition to all of the other sorts of things that someone coming out of a 
uh, incarceration faces in terms of occupation, of finding housing, and just being re-entered uh, into society, a far greater need for access to mental health and physical health services. Maybe with the expansion of Medicaid, that helps cover some of these folks. But we do want people that have served their time and paid their debt to society to be able to become functioning citizens again. So Productive. undoubtedly, we're going to have to look at making sure these services are available. Donna? Uh, so driverless vehicles, that's something that I was paying attention to. Apparently they're legal now in North Carolina. Governor Cooper has signed a bill that allows these driverless vehicles to make deliveries. They can carry up to 400 pounds of cargo on North Carolina's neighborhood roads. They can go up to, I think, about 45 miles an hour. Don't look for them yet. They're not here. <laughs> um, but I think it's just paving the way for when they do finally come. There's at least some mechanism in place. Um, but they do use camera sensors, sensors and cameras. Would you to buy avoid. one? Uh, I don't think that that's what they would be used for. I think it's more of a delivery mechanism, okay. like, you know, pizza and whatever. Like Uber? Uh, sort of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pizza or groceries or whatever. But I the... want to see that little creature that uh, <laughs> follows around the pizza <laughs> delivery. Exactly, <thing. laughs> exactly. But that is something that people are really thinking about. I mean, what about children on bikes and pets and whatever else is going on? So I think it'll get a lot of attention when we do start seeing it. Nelson. Uh, my underreported is global shortage of sand. I can always uh, count on you. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, something different, right? So sand is the number one mine material around the world. Uh, over 50 billion tons a year is used in concrete, asphalt, glass, uh, silicon chips, uh, as well as hydraulic fracking in the U.S. Uh, for natural gas. Sand desert does not work. So you can't just go out to the desert. Uh, it's too smooth. It's useless for the process. You have to have river sands or glacial sands. You find those in deltas, floodplains, uh, the ocean, and it's becoming more difficult to obtain. A lot of the sand that's being taken out, are, you know, uh, islands are dropping off, riverbanks are dropping in, there are environmental issues, there are permitting issues, and a, a, a soaring global demand right now. The number one uh, users of sand, particularly for concrete construction materials, are, of course, China and India. U.S. is a number one producer in what are called industrial sands. Those are the high-end sands. We're always good at high-end stuff. And interestingly enough, North Carolina is one of the top producers of sand, and in particular, uh, specialty minerals like quartz that are ground down to be used for silicon chips. So okay. we have a play in here as well. I want to move on to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? Who's up? Military veterans in University of North Carolina schools. There are some 12,000 vets who are working to earn degrees now and 20,000 plus who are military affiliated. That's about 10% of the student population. 9,000 of them are using $55 million in GI Bill and other Defense Department benefits. My down, nurses. We have a shortage of about 21,000 qualified nurses in the coming decade. Uh, uh, burnout rates are, are one of the reasons that people are concerned in urban and rural areas. Now, before COVID-19, the shortage was estimated to be 12,000 by 2033. So the, the shortage estimate has grown by 75%. Okay, my friend. Up. Unemployment claims. First time claims. The numbers have gone up the last two weeks. Strangely enough, even though the unemployment rate dropped from an earlier high in April of 5% to under 4.3% now, I don't understand this. We have a shortage of workers, how there's more unemployment claims being filed. But just because a thing is not understandable by me doesn't mean it's complicated. But this is <laughs> really hard for me to get my hands around. Down East Lorenburg, North Carolina, and Scotland County, the state uh, treasurer, Dale Falwell, and the state auditor, Beth Woods, and uh, found malfeasance are going to remove their charter, okay. and so they will no longer be a city. Okay, Donna. 
Uh, so uh, my up is retirements. More than a million uh, people than they thought were going to retire during COVID. In 2019, we had about a million and a half people decide to retire. During COVID, 3.2 million people decided to retire. And that's a huge amount. It's really contributing to the labor shortage and, of course, the loss of institutional knowledge in a lot of our economy. Uh, my down is non-discrimination policy at UNC. The Board of Trustees voted down uh, a, a proposal to ban admissions based on race, gender, or ethnicity. Uh, keep in mind, even California schools uh, have, have instituted that ban for several years. Nelson. Uh, up inflation, 6.2% uh, in October. Inflation hit a 30-year high. Uh, so it's not transitory? It is not transitory. And I think the energy policies are helping drive up those costs as well as food costs. And if you look at that, on top of the labor shortages that you've been talking about with the baby boomers retiring, uh, growth is going to slow, capital costs are going to go up. If inflation persists, you could be looking at stagflation in the next year or two. That's a real potential. Down, Kamala Harris, uh, the vice president's job approval has dropped to 28%, according to the U.S. Today uh, Suffolk poll. So Dick Cheney is now happy today. He no longer <laughs> holds the title of most unpopular vice president in U.S. history. And she's not having a good trip over in France either right now. It, it, she's not, and it's mostly being ignored by the European press. Headline next week, Mitch. Lawmakers approve state budget. Governor Cooper must decide whether he wants to let the train pass him by. Can they override the veto? Uh, that's what we're hearing, that there are enough Democratic votes who say that we need to get something done, whether the governor's with us or not. Well, he'd let it just go into law without signing it? He could. That's one of his options. He could sign it, veto it, or let it become law without his signature. Joe? Panelists take a page from Chinese Communist Party and vote Mark Rotterman, a historic figure, and will lead the show for the next century. <laughs> that was a paid political <laughs> yeah. Okay, Donna. Uh, I think I'll be watching. Uh, president Biden is expected to meet with the uh, president of China, but it will be virtual. They're going to meet online. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that shakes out. That's and if high it, stakes, isn't it? It's very high stakes. And it also, but it also gives um, the White House a chance to kind of, you know, veil the situation and avoid crises. Quickly, headline. Uh, General very Assembly quick. passes budget with a strong bipartisan majority. Great job, panel. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.